Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. What a marvelous opportunity we have this afternoon to understand a little bit better about our world family. And what a marvelous ASI this has been. I have felt God's spirit in a very special way. This afternoon, you're going to hear from representatives from around the world. Now, you, wonder, you might wonder why the presidents of the divisions have been attending this particular ASI. About uh, 10, 11 months ago, I made a special appeal to these division presidents to attend this particular ASI convention in order for them to understand better how the world church can relate to those who have specialized ministries and how God can use our organized work to work with the supporting ministries in a more powerful way. And what a privilege it is to have almost all of the division presidents with us. You know, we belong to a very large world family. I just received word just a few days ago that the Seventh-day Adventist Church now, as of the information we have received, official information, has now passed 19.5 million brothers and sisters. What a blessing this has been. And that is interesting, taking into consideration that many of our divisions have been very careful about the statistics of membership. And they have been going through and making sure that things are accurate. We praise God for this number. However, 7.4 billion people. When you take that into consideration, you might feel really discouraged. But I want to tell you, God has not promised that we will accomplish everything through our own efforts and power, but He is going to accomplish it through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see incredible things happening and already are. This afternoon, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from division presidents or a representative from a particular division tell about what is happening in their particular territory and region. We have 13 world divisions and one attached union mission, the Middle East North Africa Union. Just to give you a little example of how big everything is, In the Middle East North Africa Union, we have about 5,000 miles from Morocco to Iran, from Turkey to Sudan. 500 million people in that area, 3,500 Seventh-day Adventists. What a challenge. In other divisions, we have great and wonderful opportunities and many church members Listen this afternoon as God impresses you with how he is working and what he is doing in these vast division territories. You know that powerful Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them 
to observe all things that I have commanded. The Lord says, I will be with you always. Listen to our leaders in a few moments tell about how God is using your brothers and sisters around the world to reach the 7.4 billion in preparation for Jesus soon coming. Good afternoon and happy Sabbath once again and welcome to this very special Sabbath afternoon program entitled Unfinished Business, a conversation with our world church leaders. Truly we are blessed to have representatives from every division across the world, the leadership of our Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we're looking forward to a tremendous couple of hours together. We're divided up into four different groups this afternoon, and our moderators, Steve Dickman, our president of ASI, and Andy Hunsaker, our general vice president, will be leading out in the questions. And I'm going to be introducing each of the leaders that represents uh, the divisions of the world field. First, this afternoon in our first group, I'm going to begin with Elder Jairong Lee, who is the president of the Northern Asia Pacific Division. The Northern Asia Pacific Division is one of the most challenging divisions in the world. It comprises the countries of China, Mongolia, Japan, Taiwan, North and South Korea. It is the most populated division in the world, with about 1.6 billion people living in that region. The Adventist Church membership of NSD is about 700,000. That ratio between Adventists Adventist and the general population turns out to be one in every 2,200 people. The mission challenges are everywhere in this area. We need to work together, Elder Lee says, to spread the three angels' messages to the millions of unreached people in this vast territory. It is a land of mission challenges, and at the same time, it is a land of great opportunities. Next to him is Pastor Saw Samuel, who is the president of the Southern Asia Pacific Division. Pastor Samuel, you've only been in office for four months. But uh, that division, headquartered in, the Manila, in Manila, Philippines, consists of four countries with nine unions and two attached missions, 1.3 million members out of 1.3 billion in population. More than 50% of the population are Muslim, 30% are Buddhist, followed by many other religions. There is a, an interesting distribution of membership in SSD as over 86% or 1.3 million of your members are from the Philippines and Indonesia, and the rest of the 12 countries have only 14% of those members. Their focus is to reach the unreached people groups, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the, and the Chinese, the secular Chinese in their vast territory, and they want to reach especially the urban cities and the remote territories in the country. Next to Pastor Samuel is Pastor Ezra Lakra, who is the president of the Southern Asia Division. This division comprises of the countries of India, Nepal, Bhutan, and the Maldives Islands. 1.33 billion people live in this division. And various religions, Hindus, Islam, Sikh, Buddhism, create, uh, account for 98% of the people living in that territory. Christians account for only 2% of those living in that area. There are 1.7 million Adventists. There are 350 languages and 3,000 people groups in this vast territory. And India is the largest democracy in the world. Their greatest mission challenge is to reach the Muslim and Hindu populations and the current government restrictions that restrict evangelism. 
Their greatest need is to have more churches in which they can house their believers. And their vision is to reach all the different segments of their society, especially in the large urban centers, to share the good news of Jesus with the millions of people that still need hope in that vast territory. And finally, in this group, Elder Glenn Town Townend is the president of the South Pacific Division. And uh, the South Pacific Division is the smallest division by total population, but it has the most Adventists per person of the population. One interesting fact that he told me, it's the only division that you can be in today and yesterday or in today and tomorrow at the same time. In case you didn't get it, that's the international dateline, okay? Membership, 450,000 countries, 17 countries. The church is growing rapidly in the Pacific Islands and among the immigrant populations. Their greatest mission challenge are the people living in the secular urban centers. The vision of the SPD is that they become a disciple-making movement before Jesus comes. Thank you, Kyle. What a blessing it is to be here today with the, uh, some of the leaders, the administrative leaders of our world church. And this afternoon, as you listen to this program, as you are here watching, and uh, we're asking that you would be praying about a response that the Holy Spirit would convict hearts today. And we have talked ahead of time with the world church leaders, and we have asked them to share their heart with us because we believe that if they share their heart with us and we've opened our heart to the Holy Spirit, that God can use that to do something amazing. And it's our desire as a result of the conversation that we will have today to see God at work all around the world doing something amazing so that His work can be finished and we can be in God's eternal heavenly kingdom instead of here in this earthly kingdom. This afternoon, our first question that we would like to bring to this panel from the area of the world generally known as Asia to us is uh, we would like to ask the question, what do you see as the things that may prevent your members from fully engaging in the work of spreading the gospel? And what solutions do you see that might be possible to help our members engage more completely. We have 19, about 19 million members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And if all of those 19 million members were fully engaged, it seems as if we would be like a vast army marching forward and finishing this work. And so this afternoon, speak from your heart. Tell us, what do you see that might be preventing some of that, and how could we work to address those problems, and uh, just give us your heart today. If one of you would like to start, we will just open the floor. Well, I think uh, all of us believe that we are very special people of God in the last days. Amen. And uh, God has uh, called us, God has chosen us, and the Holy Spirit has led us to make commitment to the mission of the church. Certainly we are the people of mission. And our mission is uh, to spread the gospel message to the entire world as soon as possible. But you know Satan does not like this idea. He is uh, trying to bring all kinds of challenges and problems and difficulties to us. 
No wonder when you go out to the mission field, you can face with all kinds of challenges out there. For instance, in our territories, in China, in Mongolia, in Japan, we have all kinds of challenges there. But at the same time, I think we also have problems internally. Well, Ellen White pointed out that our church members are in Laodicean condition. It seems that we are lacking the confidence in God's work. And then uh, the mission spirit is lacking. But uh, this afternoon, I want to tell you that we don't have to worry about all this because we believe that this is God's church and we are engaged in God's business. And as long as we trust in the Lord, and then He will help us, He will empower us. So by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, certainly we will overcome all these challenges and we will certainly finish the work in our generation. Elder, Elder yeah, I was just thinking uh, and re reflecting, one of the external factors is probably consumerism, materialism, um, trying to gain more toys, because uh, the mo people with the most toys win, we believe that lie. Um, I think that's one of the external factors that affects the church. And I think sometimes internally, even leadership at every level can be too restrictive and sometimes we don't allow people the freedom um, and our plans. They say, oh, they're too difficult, we don't understand them and we need to make more simple plans. Um, and I, I can say, yeah, I've got to look at myself and say sometimes maybe, uh, yeah, the way I want to do things may not be how other people want to do it. And who am I to, to say? Um, I have a saying, and some people know it in our part of the world, it takes, there's more than one way to skin a kangaroo. <laughs> as long as the kangaroo you know, gets its skin off. Um, and as long as we get the message out there, I think let's encourage the variety of ministry. And that's what I see here. And I think that's a really good thing. Elder Lacra, yeah. what would you say? Uh, I also find a lot of uh, challenges that we have, uh, particularly I think of in India, of course in Southern Asia Division. Uh, we have the vast population and uh, you know as has been read 1.33 billion people different castes creeds different languages of course we have the challenges you know as has been said is the largest democracy and as well as i would say is the largest the constitution in the world uh, because we have a different segments, different society, uh, different language, the mentality, different culture. And we find uh, really difficult that way to get into and to bring them together. And, uh, you know, when we have even the politically, we, we find difficult uh, to really be so free uh, to spread the gospel. And uh, of course, as far as the, our administration is concerned, 
And we find a challenge internally too, that we have, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the people, they lose the confidence on us. We try our best and that we be accountable. And that's what this Kunkunia may feel, that we should win the confidence of the lay members who could able to contribute their trust on us. And, uh, you know, there may be some areas we, we may not able to cope up with what they think of. But we are, as much as we do it, that we are transparent in our dealings and loving them, calling them, inviting them. Uh, and now what we see of a lot of blame members, they come forward. And that's the sign of the, the changes that we could see it. And it's difficult for us because I know as uh, I have come here for ASI, but unfortunately we do not have the AIC, ASI there in our country because of a lot of challenges that we have. But I'm going through this, you know, after learning there, the excitement that I have that we could start. Because, you know, we are not able to win the confidence of the lay member. But uh, we will see it. I know with the God's grace, the Holy Spirit that is, go is working in among the lay members and who have the confidence now. And they are coming up. We have one point, the seven million, the members we have. And uh, out of that, I know it, we plan to make it double as the, what we, we want to involve the lay members more of those. And I, they began to have a confidence on us in spite of some challenges that we have. Thank you very much. Yes, Elder Samuel. Thank you, Brother Steve. Uh, I want to touch on the very fundamental issue. Uh, like uh, Pastor Dr. Lee has mentioned, there are internal and external factors. And then the internal factor, I want to focus on the individual. I think uh, what LNY has counseled us, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and the, the, the most urgent of all our needs. Uh, this is the, the point that the, the personal revival is a key that it is needed as I look at. I look at in my uh, division in SST, uh, though we have a 1.3 billion of uh, population, but we, our membership is 1.3 uh, million. Of that 1.3, uh, 86 are in uh, two countries alone, Manila, uh, Philippines, and then uh, Indonesia. But uh, this also, we have a problem with them, uh, the uh, uneven distribution of a membership. But there's also a blessing, you know, challenge that we face in all, everywhere. But one thing is that, uh, that another issue is that what is our values? You know, what is our perspective? That is very important. I have to admit that um, I have a bias and a prejudice against the Muslim because of the way that I was treated by my own father who is a Muslim. And then I have nothing want to do with Muslim until the last year that during the devotion of the Pater Petrus Bahadur came and talked about it and then that I committed. Then last year I went and I talked to my father. You know, never I wanted to talk to him. They always avoid talking to him, but I changed my mind. Amen. And then I talked to him and as a result, 
my father, 50 years, you know, he gave his life, and then he's going to get baptism this year. Amen. Amen. That is one thing Amen. that many times that, you know, we, we have to personally break down some of the prejudice, the, the bias that we have, and then the, and the seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we are focused on our own people, our own tribe, and our own country. But um, today that we have learned that when we receive the calling, the calling is not only the place that we belong to. Hmm. So. Andy, you know, we've talked about some various, some pretty serious internal and external issues here, and, and I appreciate what um, Pastor Samuel said, and sometimes it's in our own heart, isn't it, where we need to resolve some things before we can fully have that burden for souls that we need, and, and so that God can really do that. Andy, summarize what you heard here this afternoon in terms of those challenges for our audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually very encouraged because it's interesting. I have that quote that you mentioned, a revival of true godliness is the greatest of all our works. And so I really appreciate that fact. I think oftentimes we tend to look out there at something else rather than looking in our hearts. And I think that Daniel 9 gives us an, a great example of how we should be looking at things. We have sinned and done wrong. And so I think if we begin there, revival in our own hearts, I think the message, as Ellen White said, will go as far in the stubble. The other thing that you mentioned, Elder Lee, is that we've lost the mission spirit. Certainly as we look at the um, early pioneers and the mission spirit they had, we can certainly see that, and one of you mentioned Laodicea, you did, um, Brother Saw. No, Lacra, I'm sorry. Um, and so I really think that you gentlemen have really hit on these points. And I, I pray that our audience, we're out of time, have heard the, the points that are made and take those to heart. Yes. Just, just one mm -hmm. last point. I think that uh, one thing is that we also need to be reminded that God will do the work. Amen. If we will furnish him the instruments, that God will finish the work. So sometimes well, uh, we get confused. <laughs> well, uh, Steve, but, uh, I think it is true that uh, we, we may have even more challenges in the future as we come you know, near to the end of the age, you see. We may have more challenges in mission and so on, you see. But as Ellen White said, this is not our work. This is God's work, and God has started Amen. his work, and God will finish his work Amen. using dedicated men and women. Amen. So, well, uh, I'd like to, well, encourage all our the lay people who are you know, engaged in uh, missionary work, but don't, don't be afraid of anyone, anything in the world. This Amen. is God's work. Amen. And let us work together with the united heart. Hmm. And let's move forward together. And by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, certainly we can finish the work soon Amen. in the near future. Amen. Amen. Well, this afternoon, as part of our feature, one of the things that we'll be bringing to you is some short stories about how things are working in some areas where the lay people and the uh, administration of the church are working shoulder to shoulder. And this afternoon now, we'll have one of those stories for you now. Good afternoon, and it's so nice to be with you today. I have the privilege of having Elder Robert Falkenberg, Jr. with me. He's the president of the Chinese Union. Hello. Good afternoon. And tell us a little bit about the work that you are doing in China. Well, we are trying to continue the work started in China by a layman back in 1888. 
Abram LaRue left California with a burden for the Chinese and traveled all the way to Hong Kong and began a lifelong work. He's actually buried in Hong Kong to reach the Chinese for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, China is a very unique situation, Elder Falkenberg, and how are you able to share the gospel message in China? Well, it's unique on many fronts. Number one, it's the largest population in the world. We have 1.4 billion people in China, and one can't help but ask, how in the world can we reach that? Now, I appreciate what Elder Bradshaw said this morning. You can look at the glass half full or you can look at it half empty. And we prefer, as Seventh-day Adventists, to look at it as half full. Amen? Amen. And in this case, the Lord is doing amazing things amongst the Chinese. Yes, there are 1.4 billion people to reach for, for, for Christ in China, but the Holy Spirit is working. And up to now, we have almost a half a million members all across China, which is amazing given the fact that we're in a country that does not believe in or uh, support belief in God or in religion at all. That's amazing. And you know, I know that you were mentioning when I was talking with you a little bit about some of the experiences and the testimonies that you have from Absolutely. One of the things that we, are, we realize in China is that traditional methods of evangelism are not uh, easily accomplished. We cannot hold public evangelistic meetings. But if you look at the writings of Ellen White, over and over again, probably twice as much as anything else, she talks about personal work, personal work, and personal work works everywhere in the world. That is one person reaching out and connecting with another person and making friends for eternity. And the Chinese church has been doing this for many, many years. At the beginning of the communist revolution in 1949, we only had 20,000 members in China. When the church began to emerge from those difficult years, over 200,000 members were there. And all of that took place through personal work. And so one of the ways that we're doing this in China is through setting up many centers of influence, as we call them. But in China, we don't call them centers of influence. We call them service centers. And in the span of the last three years, we've started over 50 of these centers. And these are small storefronts, and every single one of them, Barbara, have a couple, two people whose job is to make friends and give Bible studies. Can I share a story about one of those centers? Absolutely. Please do. Just last week, I was talking to our coordinator for the centers, and he said, Bob, you won't believe what I just heard from one of our centers. You know what they do at that center? They sell health foods. They sell whole grains, brown rice, all kinds of uh, vegetarian options and juices and so forth. And uh, they order all this uh, health food from a wholesaler in this big city that they're in. And this wholesaler was curious, why is it this, this little store orders all these bags of whole grains? So he made a trip over to this little storefront, one of these service centers, and talked to them and found out what they were doing. And before their visit was over, they began Bible studies with this wholesale manager. Amen. No, but that's not the end of the story. <laughs> what happened next was every day, every week, the wholesaler is sending material over, you know, sending the whole grains and the rice and all this through a courier. And the gospel worker pioneers that are in there began to feed this courier. Every time he came there, they would sit him down and give Aww. him great food. <laughs> and before you know it, he has also studied the Bible with them. Praise the Lord. This Isn't is that a wonderful, work. wonderful miracle? 
You know, I know for a fact there are many of our lay ministries that are able to get into China through uh, the videos and other materials. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. We are using media uh, yes. all the time. In fact, uh, this we have Chinese Hope TV that is covering China through satellite. We do uh, those same programs over the internet. We work very closely with Amazing Facts. We're starting to work with It Is Written to put their programs. Uh, but what is amazing is that even though it's not Okay, maybe I shouldn't say this on television, but anyway, <laughs> we have satellite dishes all across China now in all our yeah. churches, so they're getting all this wonderful material. Secondly, we are using the internet. Every single day, nine million people download our message through podcasts. Amen. Nine million people. And is it also Adventist World Radio? In Adventist World Radio podcast. Yes, yes. We produce pr programs which go through from Guam through Adventist World Radio, but then they take those same programs and put them on podcasts, and they're downloaded via podcasts. Praise the Lord. You know, God is going to do everything he needs Amen. to do to finish this work. And, you know, there's many, many more stories that Elder Falkenberg is going to be able to share. Tell us your booth number. 721 Chere. <laughs> in Chinese, 721. So please uh, be sure to stop by their booth and he will share with you many, many more stories and also uh, give you some information if you want to get more involved. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barbara and Elder Falkenberg. How many of you are going to pray for China? The Lord is going to do miracles in that part of the world. Well, we have a wonderful lineup at our next group. Group number two is Europe and a the Asian continent, and um, as they're going to be coming out just now, I'm going to introduce the Trans-European Division, whose president is Elder Rafat Kamal, and the Trans-European Division, which encompasses 22 countries, was first organized in 1928, last reorganized in 2012. From the breathtaking glaciers in the north of Europe to the sun-washed shorelines of the south, from the lush glens of Greenland to the, in the west to the great ice-capped mountains in the east, the Trans-European Division sparkles with diversity. Rafat Kamal wrote that, just want you to know. <laughs> Europe is the world's second smallest continent by landmass, covering only about 2% of the Earth's surface. In terms of population, however, it is the third largest continent after Asia and Africa, with a population of some 733 million people, or about 11% of the world's population. Amid a population of 205 million, there are about eight in the TED, there are 86,000 Seventh-day Adventist members worshiping in 1,165 churches across the division. Most of their inhabitants live in a highly secular region of the world. Their ministries focus on evangelism and outreach to those in secular thinking. Their vision is that their 1,000-plus churches will be salt and light to their communities. Next to him is Elder Mario Brito, who is the president of the Inter-European Division. The Inter-European Division is made up of 20 countries with a total population of over 350 million people. There's a great diversity of languages, historical backgrounds, cultures, and traditions that may be seen as a great challenge. But more recently, these countries have been confronted with the arrival of a great number of immigrants and refugees with their own languages, beliefs, and cultures. 
this very complex and apparently challenging situation is being understood by the leaders of our church in the EUD as a fertile ground for the advancement of the mission that God has entrusted them. Some of the immigrants and refugees are completely open to receiving the gospel message. Many of our churches are being greatly blessed now as they minister to these newcomers. And several church members are feeling the desire of even having a closer relationship with God as they minister to them. A growing number of young people are also willing to recommit their lives to Jesus and be involved in mission throughout the EUD. The leadership of the EUD is confident that the tremendous challenges with which they are confronted are concealed opportunities for the prosperity and the growth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in this region of the world. Next to him is Pastor Michael Kaminsky, the president of the Euro-Asia Division. The Euro-Asia Division is a vast territory with a small number of church members. Ninety-five percent of them came into the church as a result of the large evangelistic campaigns that took place in the fall of communism in 1990. There are 13 countries, including the large Russia, which we know, and Afghanistan that make up this division. 113,000 members with a population of over 320 million people. They are very dedicated to the Lord, but now they are praying for a positive example of how they can reach their territory even without being able to hold large public meetings. Their challenge, they need places of worship. Congregations in cities are worshiping in rental facilities, and the new laws that have been put in place restrict such practices. They also need church schools, and their vision truly is to spread the gospel among the many non-Christians in the 1040 window. Thank you very much for the introduction, Kyle. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, we were led very nicely to the second session um, by our first group, one of whom mentioned a very important quote, that a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. And certainly, you gentlemen, I'm sure, feel the same. And I wonder, you know, most of us keep awake at night sometimes, just thinking all sorts of things. And I wonder, what keeps you up at night? Or what drives you to your knees? Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night on your knees before the Lord? What is it that you're grappling with before the Lord as you see all the work that's before us and a world in need? Usually when I come home, I'm tired. I sleep at least two, three hours. And many times I wake up. Wake up and kneel down and pray. Pray for the church that God may wake us up. We are so busy running from one place to another that sometimes we don't have enough time to think about what is the most important in life. We are just uh, visitors. I will say we are passing by here. Our home is heaven. And while we don't understand this clearly, we will put too much emphasis in our life here, the material life. And we forget that the most important thing is to invest in people. And I would like that our church in general may have this clear understanding. I also pray for the people outside of the church because they also are busy. And for many people in our territory, 
they don't think about these important values. But it's true, as it was said in the introduction, in the, introduction the challenges through which we are going now are making many people think. And seeing that these, our stay here is not so sure as it may appear. So what keeps me awake and praying is that God may help us understand that this world is coming to its end. When I say us, the church and the world. Very often we as the church think that status quo we have now in many countries, I mean the peace and freedom, religious freedom, will last forever. But that is not so. For example, in Russia a few weeks ago, was signed a new legislation that will restrict very severely missionary activities of the church, religious organization on that part of the world. But I think very often why we as the church many times one pass later in our activities in this world. For last 25 years, after the 1990s, we in Russia and other countries of the former Soviet unions had the golden time, 25 years. We can go to any country, preach to anybody, invite anybody to the church. And now, when we have the new legislation, when we can't openly invite to the church on the street people, when in the big cities, our biggest congregation can lose their places of the worship, we start to ask the Lord, why the Lord, we are in such of the conditions. And for sure, we will do all possible in these new situations. And I would like to appeal to the church, where we still have the very open possibility to preach the gospel. This will not last forever. Use the possibilities of the moment today. You have very openly to come to the people and share the love of the God. When people often ask me, how do I sleep at night? My answer is, I sleep like a baby. <laughs> I know that Jesus Christ is building his church. So I'm at peace. But when I wake up in the morning, I wake up with a lot of excitement because God has put plans for us, for all of us. And I guess the thing that occupies most of my time, my thoughts, my hearts, is to discover what the Holy Spirit is working, especially on the local church level. That's where I believe where the rubber meets the road. That's where the Holy Spirit is working. So when I think about our 1,000-plus communities, they're operating in a regulated social environment in Europe, in a secular environment. I'm just thinking about my town when I drive to work in the morning. And I witnessed the cathedral, which is not very far from us, the Anglican Cathedral. There, the bishop of the cathedral is a practicing homosexual. And then you drive up the road and you see hundreds and hundreds of students making their way to school. And we know that in the schools, the idea of concept of creation, the story of creation, is not being taught. It's almost a taboo. So how do you operate as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian with that identity, with that important message? living at the end of time in such a secular 
regulated society. So this is where I go on my knees and I say, God, help. It takes a miracle. We're not exceptional. Every single generation of Christians from the early disciples, they had their own challenges. But once you put the challenge plus the power of the Holy Spirit, you get the miracle. You get the opportunities. And I believe we're living at a time where it is a time of opportunities for us. So that's what excites me. That's what occupies my time, my thoughts. Something positive that God has put in motion, a miracle. And God is raising leaders. God is building to this momentum where we're going to see people flocking to come to Jesus Christ as they await the soon, his, his soon return. You know, Andy, I'm excited today when I hear the burden of the hearts of our leaders, really. The burden for the idea that sometimes we have forgotten our sense of mission and the burden for the idea that sometimes we're not understanding the open opportunity we may have right now. And I, I, I hear them praying for their members and praying for even those in their community that they see that need Christ. I'm encouraged by that. And I, and I think, you know, what an opportunity for us. I'm just thinking now, as we're pondering the maybe another question, if a layperson is in your division, or maybe someone's even outside of your area, how, how, how is it that the administrative structure of the church uh, is functioning in communicating those plans to the, to the people that sit in the pews? It seems like sometimes there might be a little disconnect in there. And what, what things could be done to improve that? How can the lay people help to, uh, in that area to maybe improve where so that the plans that are being made are the plans that the, the, the church members understand and can help to implement? This is a very important question. Already in the time I was working in the union in Portugal, I was always with my team to see how can we communicate with our lay people. Today, we have many electronic means that allows us to have direct access to the people. But we still are trying to find ways of being able to communicate with efficiency. That we can go through all the levels of our structure with a very clear and fast message. This is something we have to discuss because I know it's not always easy. But for me, what is most important is to empower lay leaders, to empower local pastors, that they know exactly what God is expecting from them, that they don't depend so much from a structure but depend directly, directly from God. They receive the guidelines. We are going to have this year in September an advisory with all departments together telling them that we have to work as a team at all levels, giving them the main lines that they may by themselves follow without depending too much on this heavy structure that is ours. I think we need to admit that these multiple instruments we have today and we use to bring the information to our congregation the first one disconnect us as the pastors and leaders from the real life of the church. 
Sometimes we think that we send a letter or put the letter on the church board or give the uh, telephone call to somebody and we finish or complete our job. That is not so. At the beginning of this quinquennium, we tell to our church, as the leaders of the church and pastors, that we will not propose anything to the church if we personally not be involved in that in the church. Therefore, I personally Amen. understand that if we, together with church, preach the gospel, they will forget all other things we are not highly doing in our administration, our pastoral uh, job preaching the gospel, that the reason of the church in this world and uh, uh, our, our common, common existing in this world. I, I guess the communication needs to be two ways. It shouldn't only be from the leaders and the pastors down. I think we need to encourage to create safe spaces and spaces for the dialogue that goes on between laity and leadership and pastors. I, I like the ASI model here where we see um, young people at the front, lay members, taking a leading roles in the shaping of the ministry, shaping of minds. There's a Holy Spirit receptivity there and we're working together as one team. I, I, I feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes when people talk about uh, laity and or ASI reaching to the church. Mm. My understanding is that we're all one. And we're all one body of Christ. So somehow we need to work also on our language to detox from us and them. But we're actually one. And so when I'm trying to encourage that kind of language, inclusiveness, at least in my division, that we're actually one family. There isn't groups. And because the devil wants to distract us and create these kind of barriers between us. And somehow we need to mitigate against that and create that inclusiveness, that spirit that we are one. Brothers and sisters in Christ doing, focusing on the mission. We're one church. We're united. You know, that actually is one thing we were talking about, even in putting these questions together. We had used the word division, which we understand as a corporate word that describes how we organize the church. But we said, you know, that word has kind of a negative connotation, doesn't it? And so Andy and I were going through the questions, and we were trying to strike that word from our questions and come to the point where we could talk about ourselves even and even ask questions in dialogue without using the word division. Because I think that's God's plan, is that we be unified, shoulder to shoulder, working together. And so thank you, certainly thank you for that comment. I know we're out of time again. It's impossible. It seems that What's clock just question? keeps on running. The question is about the division. <laughs> we are divided. <laughs> no. You know, I believe that um, we need to be united. Amen. If we want to accomplish the mission. We can see that uh, the, in the early church, they received the Holy Spirit when they knelt down and prayed. Mm. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can unite us, can help us set our priorities. If we don't go, and if we don't feel that need, we will never be able to accomplish the mission is the Holy Spirit that will bring conviction to our hearts, that will help us be lights on this world. It's not just the oral message, it's the living message. What is my example, my influence? Amen. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit on us. Thank you so much for joining us today. And now we have another story about 
somewhere in the world where things are being done to advance God's work working shoulder to shoulder. Wonderful, wonderful testimonies. I can tell you these next two gentlemen, if we could be here all afternoon, but we know we only have a few short minutes, so I would like to introduce Dr. Variato Ferreira and Klaus Naibo, and they're working in the ASI Euro. So please tell us, first of all, how did you first start this ministry? Well, it was a year ago, more or less, that we were all surprised by something that happened in Hungary, in the city of Budapest. There was an ASI Europe convention at the same time where thousands of people had come that were fleeing from the Middle East, were in the city of Budapest. They were in the train station. They were walking in the streets. They, and there was a tremendous pain in their faces. And, and uh, there was a lot of hurt because they, had to, they were refugees. And so the ASI Europe convention was taking place at that time. And the ASI members were walking past the station every day to go to the meetings. When one ASI member said to us, came to ASI Europe, and he said, look, here is 100,000 euros. You need to do something for these people. And that's how it all started. So within five weeks, with the help of organizations, uh, even including the church, like the Romanian, one of the Romanian conferences, there was a medical bus it was equipped, it was a medical bus on an island of Lesbos, which was the main island that was receiving where people were fleeing to from Turkey, up to 10,000 people a day they, they were coming to that, to that island. It's wonderful, and I know that you have some pictures that you're going to be showing us, and that's one of those pictures is what is happening right now on the island of Lesbos. Yes, well, Klaus, you were there. Tell us, tell us what happened. Well, as we came there and started establishing a medical facility to receive these refugees, we were able to place a bus right on the beach, as we see in this picture here, and receive refugees. And they were coming in in their thousands. This is in the fall a year ago. And so at the height in October 2015, we would have 50 boats that would arrive just on the beach where we were at here every single day. And you see as we go on on these boats that are coming in, they were full of people. There would be 50 people typically on a boat as they are coming in. And some of the places were rocky beaches, as you're seeing here, where they are arriving in and where they're getting help. People were cold. It was cold water and a lot of people with hypothermia. And so the medical team was there helping assess the needs looking through all of these thousands of refugees coming in and just simply showing them love and acceptance. Wonderful. Well, I know that you were telling me a story about a young man. Doctor, tell me a little bit about this young man that came in. Well, I'll just tell you that in three months where this was happening, uh, over 2,500 people were helped at the medical bus. And one of them was this young man. We had Dr. Michael John von Orson, one of the volunteers there, this young man arrived, it, he was hurting, he had a broken foot, swollen foot, and, um, and uh, Michael, Dr. Michael started seeing him, and so the young man took his cell phone and was, looking, was showing some pictures of some children. He, and then he just started crying and crying uncontrollably. And so th through the translator, Dr. Michael got the story. This young man 
He was, I believe, he was in Syria. And um, his two children were killed. And his wife was taken by ISIS uh, militants. He managed to escape. He jumped from a very high place when he landed. He broke his foot, but he couldn't stop. So for one month, he had been traveling through Turkey to reach us at that point. And with this still with this broken foot? Still with a broken month. foot, completely swollen, broken foot. Trying for one month. to escape. These are some of the people that we were meeting there. I remember waking up one morning early, and we were listening to, we woken up by screams and whistles blown from the sea. And as we looked out the window, we saw the picture of what you see here of a boat coming in, half sunken, and 150 people on them, most of them standing outside trying to balance this boat. And we started then a rescue effort to try and get people off this boat. And we will see here in the video how desperate people are to get off before this is sinking. Inside of the boat were even more people, women and children, that are all trying to get out of this. Now these people have paid to get on these boats. They pay 2,200 euros a person. You do the math and figure out how much the smugglers earn on one boat like that. This should never have been at sea. These people have gone through a lot of things and are desperate when they come here. And it's this situation that we are meeting. Klaus, I'm just looking at the clock. We are now in the second phase of this work. And it is, is in mainland um, Greece because now there are thousands and thousands of refugees in Greece. They are stranded there, and the Greek government has to look after them. Basically, there, uh, there is a new camp, one of the refugee camps, the camp at Oinofita. And just two weeks ago, there were up to almost 700 or more people there, and they asked ASI Europe to be responsible for the medical services in that camp. Amen. So um, we've got a medical facility there, which Klaus is going to describe this container. Well, inside this 40-foot container, that's all a medical clinic that is arranged. And here we have volunteer doctors and nurses working all day long to serve these people, to work with them, and to make friends and introduce them in that way to the love of Jesus. They have a lot of facilities there, but we need doctors. We need yes. nurses that can come. And we're looking for volunteers. We have people come from around the world to be part of this. And, you know... So you're doing nothing else than, than this, right? No, no, this is not my work, okay? I've got a full-time work somewhere else. This is, we, we, when do we do this, Klaus? You also have your full-time work. Yeah. And, and this is at night. It's, it's sometimes in the middle of the night oh. that we have meetings to organize and to do this. And you know what? This can only be done if we work together. Amen. When you see yeah. the needs, even if we have more than enough to do, we haven't been able to ignore these people coming in. And what we are asking is, if any of you can help, go there for one or two weeks. We could use people that could cook and other practical things there as well. Contact us at the booth and talk to us. You can go to our website as well and let us know how you could help be part of reaching these people. Thank you well, so thank much. You. And tell us your booth number, please. 722. And come and say hello. Thank, thank you, you. And God bless. There's so many more stories they'll share. Has it been a blessing so far, our program this afternoon? We are going to introduce to you now the third group of division presidents that are with us today, Africa and the Middle East. 
Our first uh, division president that I will introduce as he comes out in just a moment. Following Steve is Elder Blasius Raguri, the president of the East Central Africa Division. The ECD is comprised of the 11 countries in East and Central Africa, Burundi, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, the DRC, South Sudan, Rwanda, which you heard about this morning, and Somalia. These countries have a population of over 400 million people, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church membership is approximately 3.3 million, with three union conferences and eight union missions. There are seven Adventist universities in the ECD, and it's the home for the Adventist University of Africa, a graduate school serving the entire African continent. ECD is also very proud of its Maxwell Adventist Academy that has been a great blessing for missionaries and their kids for quality Adventist education for many, many years. ECD has seven hospitals serving the people. And an interesting fact, I was actually at their division headquarters just a few months ago with Brother Steve, and uh, Elder Raguri tells me that the division office on the grounds has over 50 gazelles, at least three to four pythons, I'm glad I did not meet them, <laughs> and a few other beautiful animals living in the compound very close to the division office. Their greatest challenge is to break the culture of members thinking that the work is mostly done by the pastors. Their vision is to saturate the whole territory of the division with the Advent message and to get everyone involved in mission. Next to Elder Raguri is Elder, uh, uh, Elder Same Vincent, who is the Sabbath School and Personal Ministries and Evangelism Director. He is representing their president, Ellie Wick Dido, who could not be with us this afternoon. But Elder Vincent, uh, you told me that there are 22 countries in your division with four languages spoken primarily, French, English, Portuguese, and Spanish. They have a population of, of over 250 million people and a membership of 700,000. The biggest challenge in the West Central African division is that they want to reach those countries that are in the 1040 window. Their vision is evangelism, though, and they want to double the membership by 2020, amen? amen. And to do that, they are going to have a special mission focus in 2018 where they aim to have 20,000 evangelism sites division-wide with preachers coming from all over the world. Their vision is to encourage their members to take place, take part rather, in total member involvement, that each member will do their part to reach their neighbors for Christ. Next to him is Elder Solomon Mafosa, who is the president of the Southern Africa Indian Ocean Division. SID operates in 23 countries and the islands. It, comprise, it is comprised of 10 unions and one attached field. And the Lord has blessed this division with a membership of 3,514,060, worshiping in 23,000 churches, 23,972 churches throughout their territory. Now, their greatest mission challenge, Pastor Mafosa told me, is in South Africa, where they, the people struggle with many challenges, drugs, human trafficking, economic woes, and violence. And in this area, they are praying for a breakthrough. In the South African Union, there is a population of over 55 million, but the membership is only 150,000. This is an area in need of urgent prayer. They want to see South Africa catch the same fire that the other unions have found across their division, like in Zambia, where the membership is over 1 million in that country alone. In 2018, they plan to have a major mission focus on South Africa with church members partnering together with church leaders to reach the Rainbow Nation with the gospel. Their vision 
is to get every member involved and participating in the mission of the church. And finally, next to him is Elder Rick McEdward, the president of the Middle East and North Africa Union. Now, MENA is not a division, but it is a special, special area of the world, as Elder Wilson referenced in the beginning. It has the most vast territory. And the Middle East and North Africa Union, formed in 2011, is comprised of 20 countries with over 500 million people. 99% of MENA is Muslim. The geography of the church ranges from Morocco on the west to Iran in the east and includes countries of the Arabian Peninsula and Turkey, in addition to the northern parts of Cyprus and Sudan. It includes the biblical lands of Babylon, Egypt, Persia, which are made of today's Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, Syria, and Egypt, plus many locations in Jordan. The church has 3,500 members. Middle East University is operated by MENA in Beirut. In MENA, there is one Adventist for every 148,571 people. Their mission challenges, Pastor McEdward told me, there are 48 cities of one million people or more, some of which have never had one Seventh-day Adventist set foot in them. And they have four countries that are war-torn and completely unstable. The church is either illegal or unwelcome in almost all of their countries, and their lack of human resources means that they rely on people from other nations to come and join them so that they can be a light in a dark place. But nevertheless, Pastor McEdward's courage is strong. And he asked me to express his appreciation, especially to Elder Homer Tricartan, for his sacrificial leadership in this field, and to say thank you to you, the Worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church, for your tremendous support of the mission in the Middle East and North Africa Union. Thanks, Kyle. Well, I want to tell you before I tell you, the, before I start my question, I discussed with my group here the question I was going to ask them just a few minutes ago, and they all got great big smiles on their faces. They were very excited about the question. It's one of my favorite questions. In fact, Elder Solomon said, oh, good, it's not a scary question. <laughs> so they're all relieved and relaxed, and I'm looking forward to hearing the answers to this question. Ellen White has said in several places that we should be home ere this. And I want to know, why do you think we're still here, and is there something we can do? Elder McGurry. There is a promise in Scripture, and all of us are aware of that promise that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the whole world, and then the end shall come. If the end has not come yet, it is because we have not preached this gospel to the whole world. I'll start with my own situation back in the East Central Africa Division where Brother Kyle has just announced that the population of the countries that form ECD is over 400 million people. Then he said we are only 3.3 million members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in these countries. When, if you calculate the ratio, you don't want to even say one more thing then you feel like we have not started our work in this territory. And I think this question you are posing to us, Andy, is, is a question that begs for all of us to really consider whether we are in serious loans business or not.
for me and my division, we do not want to think we can ever rest again until we have covered this great population of over 400 million people. Now, I don't know what I can say for the past, but I need to tell this assembly and those who are watching us, wherever they are, that it is possible for us to do exactly what Jesus said about finishing this work. We tried with one of our unions by involving all the members in that union. And I will tell you, even though we wanted to do that, we were not still able to do it. But we were able to involve quite a number of lay people, something that we have not done in the past. And just in two weeks, we have been able to generate this report that has been going around where we baptized 100,000 plus people in two weeks. Now, my common sense tells me that if we did that all through our countries in East Central Africa Division, it will be a surprise. And, and I think if this happens all around the world, in a few years, we will have fulfilled this desire our Lord expressed before he left that this message will have reached the whole world, and then it can come. Thank you very much, Brother Sami. Yeah, thank you so much for the, the comment of Sister White. I said, you know, we Africans, we like stories. Not too long ago, my wife got a message. Somebody was telling a story. A pastor was driving. Then he perceived an old person who was stopping him. He stopped and picked him in his car. And when the person entered, an old person, the person started saying, yesterday, God was so much angry with what is happening in the world that he told Jesus, let us stop everything. Let us end the world. And Jesus said, not now, Father because my own friends are not all ready. Some of my friends are not ready. It tells me, if we are still here, it's because God still wants us to be ready. It calls for revival. It calls for reformation. It is time for us at Adventist to really be what we say we are, to really be what we are preaching. We need not only to preach, but we need to live the real life of Jesus Christ. And because Christ wants us to be like him, if we are like him, if we belong to him, if our hearts can change, if we can allow the Holy Spirit to really take control of everything that we do, then we will be called ambassadors for Christ. And as ambassadors for Christ, we will go out there not only to talk, 
but to really represent Christ as he is. Once we were able to do so, not only we as members of the church will be ready, but many more people will be attracted to the gospel, the, the, the special message that is given to Adventist church. You know, Amen. It's so good. We are proud to be Adventist. It's good to be a seventh-day Adventist. That is the real church of God. When God looks at the, the earth, he is pleased to have people who are called seventh-day Adventist church. So reformation, revival, real Christian living, then total member involvement. In our division, this is the message of the new leadership. All of us submitting ourselves to God and working for him. Amen. Thank you. Thank much. you so much. Amen. You see the enthusiasm of the Solomon. Well, next time I'll be very careful when uh, they ask me questions before I come. It, yeah, you, you get to meet your question here. But I believe very, very strongly that one of the reasons that Christ has not come is maybe that we as leaders have not led the church the way God expects us to lead the church. Wow. We have tried to do all the work ourselves mm. while the church members just sat and watched us fail to do the work. I believe, and when I read Ellen White, I don't hear her saying that uh, it is us, the powerful ministers, who will finish the work while the members sit. I, I hear her saying, I saw the saints Saints is more than just a pastor. She saw the members going from city to city, from village to village, with the spirit, the later rain that we are praying for. Maybe why the later rain has not yet fallen, it's because we are still doing it wrong. I, I am happy for what the, 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 the church is now doing, to try and help the church do this business the right way, to take ministry where it belongs, the member, to also know that their role is to share the gospel. In our division, 3.5 million members. You have members who are active and you, maybe some of them feel guilty that they are playing a role that is not theirs, you know, but they shouldn't be feeling guilty. It's because we have even called ourselves ministers and they are the lay members. And yet the Bible and Ellen White do not say that. We need to take the ministry back to the members so that they know that they are the ministers and that the gift of the spirit that is given to us is to train them and equip them for ministry according to the word of God. I believe when we do that and we pray, I don't believe the Holy Spirit will come or come later and bless us as we sit in our living rooms and enjoy watching television. I don't think it will happen that way. When the Spirit of God fell on the day of Pentecost, they did something. They stood up, they, they, they talked about, they did something for God. 3,000 conversions one day. The Spirit of God will not fall upon a church that's just sitting. 
You cannot arm your soldiers for them to just sit home and do nothing. You arm them to go to battle. I, I want to believe God operates on the same principle. Uh, if I'm wrong, I hope I'm not going to be censured, but that's the, that's the point. That's the point. I believe it with all my heart. Amen. We are not doing church right. Let's do church the way God wants it done. All of us, total member involvement. And in our division, we call it one member, one soul. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Elder McKenwood. In at least two of the divisions that have spoken, they have a thousand times the membership that we have in our union. Oh, boy. Mm. And yet our union, I think, is probably double the size of the divisions in terms of population. We could sit here and count to 148,000 people one by one before we find one Seventh-day Adventist. Mm. Our problem about the coming of Christ is not an external problem. It's not about the challenge. It's an internal problem. It's about us and our hearts and whether we are willing to stand behind God's call in each of our lives to go where He sends us Amen. instead of repeating the message over and over again to those who have already heard. Mm. That challenge is mine and it's yours. And um, my heart is very tender for the 70% of 500 million people who never have met a Christian person of any denomination. We need prayer. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to pour resources from the world church, as is happening, but even more into territories like the Middle East and North Africa. And we need every member of the world church saying, what can I do for those that do not yet know Jesus, even in a most basic message form? I think it's us here. It's our duty, our responsibility to respond to God's call and just say, Lord, what can I do? Amen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your, your candor, the, the answers, and certainly I think we can all take the challenge that the problem is, is within ourselves. And so I appreciate your answers. I pre appreciate your participation. And I just pray for each one of us that we will examine our own selves and figure out why is it that there is indeed a, a delay. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. We have another wonderful testimony to share today by a young woman by the name of Elizabeth. Now, some of you may be looking at this young lady and saying, wait a second, that's not Elizabeth. Well, Elizabeth is a pseudonym for her real name because she is going to be working in the Middle East and representing the Middle East North African Union. So Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about how did your ministry begin? All right, very good. How many of you all want to see Jesus come? Amen. How many of you all want to see the gospel go to the Middle East North Africa region? Okay, here's the real question. How many of you all are willing to move to the Middle East North Africa region, get a job and share Jesus with your workmates and your community? 
Not very many hands. All right. <laughs> so I work with the Middle East North Africa Union of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I work with an exciting initiative called Total Employment. And basically, my job is to prayerfully recruit mission-minded, spirit-filled Seventh-day Adventists from around the world to the Middle East North Africa Union, not to be pastors, etc., but to be lay members, to be doctors, dentists, engineers, science teachers, high school teachers, artists, musicians, graphic designers, start a business, be entrepreneurs, businessmen, to reach out to the local community. So this is called Total Employment, and we need you. We need you in the audience. We need you who are watching on TV, because the gospel has to go to all the world before Jesus comes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Elizabeth, it's very, very difficult, obviously, because what is the major religion uh, in, in your area that you'll be going into? The dominant religion is Islam in our area of the world. But I am here to tell you that the people of this region are beautiful. They have wonderful hospitality, and they are searching for something more, just like everyone else around the world. I'm also here to tell you that if you focus on Fox News and CNN and what's happening, you will not go. But if the Israelites had focused on Jericho instead of the God that could bring down the walls of Jericho, they wouldn't have walked around seven times and then the wall fell down. Amen. So I'm calling you to focus on God. For example, Elisha and Gehazi, um, they were surrounded by an army, but Elisha prayed that their eyes would be open and they had an army of angels around them. We can go anywhere where God leads us. Amen. Well, that's wonderful. Now, Elizabeth, share a little bit. Now, obviously, uh, you're married, and your husband, what profession is he? My husband is a tent maker. My, um, he's part of the Total Employment Initiative. We call lay members um, tent makers. As Apostle Paul, he did tents and supported himself while he was ministering to the local people. So my husband and I, we, I had a great job at a university in the United States, but we saw that there was this region of the world where the people needed to learn about Jesus Christ. And so through prayer and our family support, God led us to the MENA region. And my husband, this last year, for a year and a half, we were at an Adventist institution. But my husband was convicted to be a tent maker. So he is going to be a science teacher in North Africa. God has clearly led us to this place. And I challenge you to get on your knees and pray. Is God leading me to the Middle East, North Africa region? I want to tell you, after we made the decision to transition from one country in North Africa to another, I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> I had gotten comfortable in the first country that we were in, and I didn't want to have to buy new furniture and this, that, and the other, learn a different a dialect of Arabic. So my husband and I, we had a special day of fasting and prayer. And on this day, God led me to the book Christian Service and to a quote by Ellen White that says, Adventists need to move out of the Adventist Mecca, I'm paraphrasing, but the Adventist Meccas in the United States and other places and go into dark communities as families, as single individuals, and make friends with neighbors and work in these different professions as lay people to share Jesus. So we first read that quote on the day that we were fasting and praying. Secondly, about an hour later, I got a phone call from my dad. My dad um, works at a small clinic 
in the southern part of the United States. And on the day that we were fasting and praying, I heard that he had had a patient and she was from the exact town and country that we are going to. And she lived in my hometown, and we've been able to meet with her twice over the summer, and we're able to connect with her family that still live in the country and city that we're going to. So I challenge you guys, pray, ask God, where is he calling me? Could it be the Middle East, North Africa region? Because the Bible says the gospel has to go to all the world. Perfect love casts out all fear. We do not have to be fearful. We do not have to be dismayed. So I challenge you to join our MENA team. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. And tell us in the last few seconds, share with us your website so that people can contact you if they are interested or anyone that's out there in the viewing audience. How can they contact you? What's your website? Our website is for total employment, which again is lay members coming to the Middle East, North Africa, and we help you find a job. We help you learn the language. We are here to support you. But it's T-E-M-E-N-A dot net. T-E-M-E-N-A Net. And you can also come to our booth, which is booth 700. God bless you. God bless. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Mindy. Praise the Lord for what's happening in Mena. How many of you are going to pray for that region of the world? Let's pray for them. We are ready for our final group of our division presidents this afternoon. And now we're going to turn our attention closer to home, to the Americas. And our first uh, division uh, leader is going to be Brother uh, Elder Leon Wellington, who is the Vice President and ASI Secretary from the Inter-American Division. He is representing Pre uh, President Israel Leto, who could not be with us today. But the Inter-American Division consists of 38 countries, including Mexico, Central America, Venezuela, Colombia, and all the beautiful islands of the Caribbean. The IAD has 24 unions with a membership of 3.8 million members and growing in more than 21,000 congregations. They speak many languages, but they operate principally in English, Spanish, French, and Dutch. Their members are actively embracing TMI through the division's emphasis on Lord Transform Me. They have 14 active ASI chapters that are impacting their countries and communities in positive ways. In fact, their ASI convention is just two weeks away in Colombia. Their lay members are very involved in mission and are enthusiastically working and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Next up is Elder Erton Kohler, the president of the South American Division. The South American Division is the church office that coordinates the work in eight countries, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile, Peru, Bolivia, and Ecuador. There are 320 million people that inhabit these countries, and the South American Division is a family of more than 2.4 million members with 27,000 churches and companies. They have 5,000 pastors and an educational system with 320,000 students in 888 schools, academies, and universities. The South American Division is also a very young and dynamic division. Their membership, of their membership, under just uh, almost 60% of them are under 35 years old. So they are strongly focused on communication to present the gospel. Over 500 people work in their media center, which is actively promoting the gospel through television, radio, and the internet. Their greatest challenge is to involve every member 
with the mission of the church. They accomplish this through a vision for discipleship that encompasses three key areas. Number one, communion with God, spiritual life. That's the foundation. Number two, integration and relationships. They focus on small groups as the bridge. And number three, the focus is their mission. And their initiative, My Talent, My Ministry, is that everyone finds their talent to reach others for Christ. It's another way of saying TMI. The vision is that each member, each church, and each, each institution works together to prepare disciples to meet the Lord in the clouds of heaven. And finally, I'd like to introduce to you the president of the North American Division, my boss, Elder Dan Jackson. And uh, he is there next to Steve, and I will say only good things because he is my boss. <laughs> we love him and we pray for you, Elder Jackson. The North American Division includes the countries of Bermuda, Canada, Guam, Micronesia, and the United States of America. It is home to more than 1.2 million Seventh-day Adventists who represent every major cultural and ethnic group in the world, worshiping in 6,000 congregations. The NAD has 60 hospitals, 1,200 schools, with 15 universities and colleges, and over 6,000 congregations. Recently, USA Today recognized the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America as the most, most ethnically diverse religious denomination in the United States. Even though the North American Division was the birthplace of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, it wasn't fully recognized as a world division until 1985. But for more than 150 years, the NAD has joyfully participated in the mission of the church around the world as it has spread the gospel to more than 200 countries. The mission statement of the North American Division is to reach North America and the world with the distinctive Christ-centered Seventh-day Adventist message of hope and wholeness. And Elder Jackson's vision for the NAD is to mobilize every member of the church in North America to participate in the final thrust of God's great evangelistic enterprise on planet Earth. Thank you, Kyle. I have mixed emotions here this afternoon. I hear these reports. I see that we have 1,200 schools in the North America Division and 800 and, and something in South America and, and 2.4 million and 1.2 million. And these numbers are wonderful. But we're talking today, the thrust of our discussion today is about the unfinished work, the unfinished business. Gentlemen, today, as we are kind of closing out, maybe one of the challenging questions that could be pondered, and we would like to seek for your answer, is to what is that unfinished work? Yes, we've made a lot of progress. Yes, we have a lot of churches and schools, but there's something yet that's unfinished. And besides the numbers or statistics, what would you say is that unfinished work that we really need to be focusing on? We have to see that in the context of the mission that this church has been given. We have a, a work to do, and our role as leaders is to facilitate this work by allowing our members to become active participants rather than spectators. In our region, we have long realized that this work is not going to be finished by the employee, employed workers of the church. We have to engage the, the members, the members at the local level, and we do have some challenges there as well. 
although the Inter-America division is growing and growing pretty fast, we do have challenges. Because in some areas, we have gatekeepers. And uh, for whatever reason, we don't know. But we have, to, we have to move the gatekeepers so that our members can become even more involved than they are. That's why we're so happy for this uh, TMI, Total Member Involvement, which we have placed that within a, a, a larger context of Lord Transform Me. We want each member to own the mission. Mm -hmm. And so what we are driving is that personal transformation and we use as our text Romans 12 and verse 2. That's what we are using now to motivate our members. Let me try to use my powerful English now. And uh, I think that when I listen these numbers and ministries and activities that we have, I can imagine that we are doing our best. Everyone, the lay people, the church, but we need to do more. In my mind, we need two things. First of all, we are working alone. We need the Holy Spirit in the life of our church. We are doing and doing and doing a lot of things, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will reach the people and we can finish the work that we received. And the second, we need to involve the church. That's a challenge. We need to take out the people from the comfort and invite them to go out to the church, to share the gospel. Uh, I know that uh, we need to forget the numbers, but please allow me to say just one thing. Some years ago, I started to do some mathematics. And I discovered that in South America, I will use our example, if every member works with one person per year giving Bible studies or preparing that person to bring the life to Jesus, in nine years, we can reach all our territory. And I did the same mathematics for the global church. If every Seventh-day Adventist, 19 million Seventh-day Adventists that we have, prepare one person to be baptized or study the Bible with one person in nine years, we can reach more than 7 billion people in the planet. We have a huge work to do, but with the Holy Spirit and the participation of every member in the church, we can finish that work. You know, Steve, I don't think that the work of God will be finished anywhere until it's finished everywhere. Amen. And I, I, I think that as I look at what is the unfinished business in the church? Uh, obviously, it, it is true. We need to develop the liaison, the strong liaison between our pastors and our lay members. We need to uh, revisit, especially in North America, because I, I have a feeling that these brethren in their divisions have advanced a little more rapidly down this, this uh, area th than we have in North America. We need to revisit our theology. Now, that sounds horrible and people will get worried, but I think we need to revisit Second Peter or First Peter chapter 2. Mm. And that is the whole idea that every single person is a minister. Amen. Called by God, mm. when you are baptized, you become a minister of the Most High God. That, 
you know, that is a, that's a fundamental step. But I also believe when I begin to think of what, it is, what, what is it that really needs to form a basis of that, I, I, I think of uh, Pastor John Bradshaw's sermon this morning where he quoted the statement out of Acts of the Apostles that uh, the church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ and through the church will be manifested even to principalities and powers the final and the full display of Amen. the love of God. Yeah. When you look at the First Peter 4 passage that we should show forth the praises of Him who called us out of the darkness mm -hmm. into His marvelous light, we haven't done that. We need to be lovers of men and lovers of, lovers of God and lovers of men, and we need to love each other in the church in spite of our deficiencies. Mm. Amen. You know, Andy, I'm really, I've been blessed today as we have visited with our World Division presidents, and we've heard their heart cry as well, and I've, I've seen them this afternoon in a little different light than maybe I had before. And I appreciate what we've heard today. And you know, it is true that we have some challenges. And I believe, if I have to look at it honestly, I'll say that that unfinished business should probably begin with each one of us. Amen. Each one of us getting ready and willing to get down on our knees and ask God to show us in our own hearts what He wants to do and to cry out for the Holy Spirit because over and over again today I've heard that we need the Holy Spirit. And it, we're told that God wants to give us that gift even more than we like to give good gifts to our children. But do we really want the gift? Am I really ready to receive that gift and what it means to me personally? So today, as, as we're here together, I'm just challenging you to think about that. We're out of time with our division presidents. We're not done yet with the program, but with our division presidents, thank you so much for joining us today. And we have another story now about working shoulder to shoulder. Well, we have a wonderful, wonderful yes, testimony here. Uh, this afternoon, we have Pastor Stephen Oren, and we have our, uh, he is the president of the Arkansas-Louisiana Conference, and then we have Magda Rodriguez, she's the president of Wachita Hills College. Now tell us, Magna, what event happened on your college campus that presented a little problem for you? Yes, Barbara, um, as we um, presented this morning, at Washington Hills College canvassing, it goes beyond selling books in order to pay tuition for our students. Um, canvassing is an essential component of the Christian education of our students. And one of the things that we do is that we organize five canvassing programs throughout the year. And um, we, as a leader, I never like to set goals for our students in uh, tangible goals like number of books or how much money we want to bring. Um, the goal that I set in front of the students is 
I want them to be faithful at each door that they knock. I want them to be faithful at each person that they meet and that they do their best to leave a message book in every single hand. And um, one of the things that we do also is we try to make sure that we cover every single town in the territory that we are targeting. And um, at the, in the state of Arkansas, we had a challenge with one town for multiple years. We went to the town and they will not allow us to canvas in that town. And last year, we decided to go to the same territory and um, they, we found out that they came up with the ordinance that requires that each to fill out an application to be able to canvas for each student and $50 for each application. And not only that, the criteria for evaluating that application, they were not given to us. The guidelines, nothing. It was actually up to the chief of police to decide if we were going to be allowed to go to that town. And um, even though that town is really, is, it is a small town, it's only uh, 5,000 people, you know, we felt the sense of responsibility. When we go out, we want to make sure that we bring light to those people that are in darkness. And we felt that we needed help, and that was at, at that point that we reached out to the Arkansas-Louisiana Conference. So tell us, uh, just briefly, uh, Pastor Orion, how did you get involved in this, and, and what were the results? You know, the church works best when the church works together. And what affects a uh, self-supporting institution, a supporting institution of the church, also affects the ministries of a local congregation. The impact in one community can have impact in other communities within the state. And so we felt it was extremely important that the situation in Whitehall, Arkansas, be resolved favorably in behalf of the students at Washtenaw Hills College. So with the support of the North American Division, the uh, uh, attorney serving the division, uh, Todd McFarlane, intervened with us on behalf of the conference and two of the students who were engaged as uh, literature evangelists and uh, filed a suit against the city of Whitehall. To make a long story short, uh, as the date was approaching for the um, court hearing to take place, the, the city revised its ordinance so that it would accommodate the literature evangelist and for that matter any other uh, religious organization or charitable organization that would desire to do a, a work such as that. So we consider that a tremendous victory in behalf of the church. And as that case was proceeding and news within the cities of the state heard about what was happening in Whitehall, the city of Fayetteville, we were told, did some revision of their city ordinance so that it would also accommodate literature evangelists and other such similar work. So we consider that a tremendous victory uh, in behalf of the church, the ability to do ministry, to be able to serve not only by the literature evangelists at uh, the uh, college, but also all of our churches as well. Praise the 
the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, also, just in the last few minutes, the last few seconds, tell us what were the results and how, how did the students uh, were able to, to achieve their mm -hmm. goal? Yes, the week after that change was made, our students went to Whitehall. And we were able to canvas the whole city and with... Um, and we left actually 1,400 message books behind. So I know that the Lord bless our efforts. Amen. Amen. Well, have a blessed and wonderful evening. God bless. It's a blessing this afternoon that we've had the opportunity to hear the heart of our world church leaders. Elder Wilson, I was personally blessed as I was able to talk with our division presidents and to understand the heart that they have for mission. And this afternoon, to our ASI family, I'd like to say just how much we appreciate you inviting your World Church presidents to join us here and what that means to us. But I would invite you to give us a challenge today. Just lay before us what God has put on your heart as we look forward to the work that needs to be finished. We are called to proclaim the three angels' messages. We are chosen for a unique purpose as God's Advent movement, and we are committed to Christ and His mission. And you've heard this afternoon from these wonderful reports and the heartfelt yearnings of these division leaders how God can use all of us to accomplish this work. Around the world, as you tune in to your own favorite newscast or website, you will see that the world is literally disintegrating around us. What a time for God's people to step forward in a powerful, called, chosen, and committed way. The Seventh-day Adventist message is a unique message, a unique movement on a unique mission. We have many things that we have offered our church in terms of activities to reach the millions of people around the world, mission to the cities. My heart, and I hope yours, burns heavily for the people of these large metropolitan areas, such as we're in right now here in Phoenix. What are we doing for the people of the cities? How are we using comprehensive health ministry or medical missionary work to reach people? We've heard wonderful reports here at ASI, Pathway to Health, and so many others who are involved in this wonderful outreach of health. All of us need to become involved in every possible way to reach people. I want to make an appeal, an appeal to each of us to remember who is in charge. The General Conference is not in charge. The divisions are not in charge. ASI is not in charge. The Lord Jesus Christ is in charge. I want us to give God the glory for all the good things that do happen and never to take to ourselves that which God has done for us.
briefly in that interesting story in Second Chronicles chapter 26. The king, Uzziah, who was, 20, who was 16 years old when he became king, reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem, did what was right in the sight of God. And it says in verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Unfortunately, it says in verse 15 that after he had many interesting and creative people, skillful people who created all kinds of things that shoot arrows and large stones, his fame spread far and wide, and he became very strong. And the next verse tells us, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. He took upon himself to burn incense before the Lord, and only the priests were to do that. May we recognize where our strength is to accomplish all that you have heard this afternoon needs to be accomplished. When Paul was praying, Lord, take away this problem three times, the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And finally, Paul understood. And my appeal to you as we move forward into the enormous challenge of reaching the 7.4 billion people is that Paul finally admitted, and we need to admit it, when I am weak, then I am strong. Our weakness in Christ is made strong. And so I appeal to you, humble yourselves. I want to humble myself. I want to be part of revival and reformation. I want to take part in Bible study and prayer. I want personally, and I appeal to you to have a focus on mission. Don't be distracted by side issues. Focus upon the mission of the church. The three angels' messages, the fourth angel of Revelation 18. Allow the Lord to use us as we lift up Jesus and His righteousness, as we are faithful to Him and to His Word. And as we become involved in total member involvement, total youth involvement, total family involvement. The other day, right here at ASI, I spoke to the juniors. I told them total junior involvement. Everybody involved for Jesus. A beautiful statement in volume 9, page 117. The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. What a beautiful way to be shoulder to shoulder with ASI, with our lay people, all of us working together to accomplish the one goal of proclaiming Christ's great salvation to the world and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Just a few Sabbaths ago, a number of us in this group 
stood on a promenade next to the Sea of Galilee. And as we looked down on the Sea of Galilee, we watched about 22 new believers being baptized and becoming members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You see, God intends for His people everywhere, including Israel, to become members of this great family. And as we close this session of ASI, and as you go to supper and then as you continue to be part of this ASI convention, just before we leave, I want to appeal to you to be part of this great collaborative effort. God's people, His paid workers, His lay members, everyone united in God's great effort to reach this world. And as an act of consecration, as an act of commitment to this appeal, we're going to ask that the division leaders come a little bit closer, in a little tighter circle, and our ASI administrative group has the privilege of laying their hands on these leaders, a symbol of how all of us wish to work together shoulder to shoulder in a powerful way, called, chosen, and committed as we finish God's work through the Holy Spirit's power. And let us pray for the latter rain. I ask all of you to stand as we pray. Our gracious and loving Father, Your church has been here for a long time, officially organized in one conference in 1861 in Michigan. And two years later, the general conference was organized in 1863, but that's a long time ago, Lord. We want to go home. You have called us. You have chosen us. And Lord, you have committed us to a task, and we commit ourselves tonight to that great calling. Now, Lord, you see before you the leaders of your world divisions. They represent over 19 million brothers and sisters, and yet the task is so great. Over 7 billion people on this earth. Everyone needs to hear the message. We plead with you, Lord, to prepare our hearts and to send the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, lead us, guide us. We humble ourselves tonight. And now, Lord, you see these wonderful leaders from ASI placing their hands upon the shoulders of these leaders in a symbolic act that we are working shoulder to shoulder, side by side, in every way possible. Lord, we commit ourselves to this future work, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, Lord, all of those who are standing throughout this auditorium, 
those who are members of ASI, those who are watching, those who are members around the world, we also commit ourselves into your care as we unitedly work towards the one goal of seeing our Lord and Savior appear in the clouds of glory. Lord, even so come. We long for that day. Thank you for hearing us. Bless ASI in a very special way and bless your people around the world. We are ready, we are called, we are chosen by you, and we commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.